0: This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. Bible, if you will, and open it. How about that? That means I've got a lot of scripture to look at. I worked with uh, Justin this evening. We, we put together some slides, so I hope that will be helpful as I was even finishing up some things this evening. I realize there's just so much to, to say, so I'm hoping the slides will be a little bit easier as we move through the text. We've been looking at 18 words on Sunday night. Um, These are 18 words, a a book J.I. Packer put together years ago, and it's just 18 words that uh, the most important words you'll ever know. 18 words, the most important words you'll ever know. To some, that's not a big deal or or not a lot of importance. Uh, And probably as a pastor, a lot of the things that we tend to be passionate about as a pastor are things that had the greatest influence and impact in our life. I was thinking about that today. What we seem to be uh, really excited about or, or we believe is important to our pastoral ministry are things that usually really had a great impact and changed our life. Theological belief had a great impact on my life. I grew up going to church and I grew up in a, a southern community where people were Christians and God was talked about and the Bible was important and like so many of us, we, we are good people and we go to church and, and you know we're, we're living life and doing what we need to do, but yet as I got older, I never really continued and grew. It was like, and I, I say this jokingly, but I'm not taking away from it, it's like I had a, a Sunday school theology. And so I was so faithful in Sunday school as a young person. And for those that teach children, you can only—you got to meet them where they are. I mean, you can't bust out with a, a thesis on infrasapilarianism in a, to a second grader. Um, and you're going, what does that mean? It doesn't matter. It does, but it doesn't. But I never grew. And so as an adult, I went into the youth group and, and still had the, the third grade Sunday school stories down pat, the big stories. And I never grew. It's not the pastor's fault. It was not the church's fault. It was my fault. And so I lived an entire decade with big picture Bible stuff as a believer, but I had no theological process that helped me make decisions. And so to me, words, things in Scripture is our worldview. How do we process what we see? How is it that when we have a decision that we need to make, what is going to be the data that we use in our brain to help us make that decision? What What is there? What is that filter? What is that lens, as we would say, that we see life? And so I think all of us need to have a biblical worldview. The lens of Scripture should determine how we perceive the world that we live in, not emotion, not feelings, not the public, and so truth, doctrine, these things are always so important because we have to have somewhere to stand. And once we have that foundation built and we understand there's a process that, you know, I I went with the progressive bifocal. I think my glasses, I have 18 different windows I can look out of. Anybody else got progressive? Sharon asked me one day, why do you turn all the way around when you look at people now? I said, I've only got a little window that I can see out of. I have to completely stare at you to see you now. But once I'm looking in the right lens, everything's clear as a bell. So think about what, what you understand about life. When, when, you, when, you, when you look at the election through the, the lens of just the world, it is a mess. When you look at the election through the lens of, of Scripture, God is still on His throne. And He is giving, we are, we are getting what we asked for. You want a king? Here's your king or queen. That shows the condition of where we are as a nation. So when we have things come up, these words help us understand. Here, when you put those glasses on, where your, your understanding of Scripture as you look at life, you're looking at life through the lens of Scripture and how you process and see things. The word tonight, and I share this because it's been several weeks and we've gotten back to our words. Our word tonight is mediator. Now, why is that one of the most important words we need to know, according to J.I. Packer? Well, a mediator is a man in the middle. It's someone that is in the middle, and he has links to both sides. He sympathizes sympathizes with both parties. Both parties trust them, and he's trying to bring about reconciliation. That is what a mediator. And you think about mediating. A, some people don't go to a lawyer anymore, a court. They go to a mediator. Someone that comes in and, and fixes something that's not right, and he has the right to do so. Jesus Christ is our mediator. And he has done what no one else can do. And if we think about Jesus Christ, the mediation of Jesus between God and man, think of it this way. The mediation of Christ between God and and man whereby the new and the everlasting covenant has been established is basically the entire theme of scripture in the very beginning we learned that there's a problem with God and man it's called sin and the entire book if you were to read somebody will say well how do I how do I read the bible you read your the, the bible as if you're standing in scripture and you're standing in Genesis and you're looking through the entirety of Scripture. And in the horizon of Genesis, you see the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can see the, the, the cross in the horizon. That is the entirety of Scripture, Jesus Christ. And sometimes as we get bogged down in the Old Testament, we don't understand this and understand that, put on the lens of Scripture. How does all of this fit together? How does a person standing in Leviticus, and there's boils on their body, and they go to the priest, and they need to scrape and put ash on it and be cleansed and purified and all this stuff. What does all of that mean? It means we need a Savior. And it means we need someone to make us right because we are wrong Jesus Christ is that mediator he stands between God and man and he issues a new and everlasting covenant that only he can accomplish point one a mediator is needed think about two two parties they cannot agree you've got a we almost need a mediator now, don't we, between a Republican and a Democrat, don't we? you got two parties. And, and there's a, a division there that cannot be fixed. There's nothing that, that that party can do to fix it. That is Christ. If we look at the Old Testament, prophets was sent to represent God to man. So you think about Isaiah. Isaiah came as a prophet. He represented God to man. To man, thus saith the Lord. In the Old Testament the priest represented man to God. And so in the Old Testament we see a process of trying to make right that which everyone knew was broken. They're not in relationship to God, so the prophet came as a voice to God to give a message to man. The priest was there so that the man can come to God, but he came through the priest and he came through the prophet. Revelation and forgiveness, and we shared, I talked a little bit about this Sunday night, Wednesday night, I thought it was very good. Revelation from the prophet, forgiveness through the priest was available in the Old Testament, but it was not lasting It was real, but it was limited and incomplete. And so no matter what the prophet said, it was temporary. No matter what we did to the priest, it was temporary. There was perfect communion with God was never obtainable. Can you imagine that? There was never that perfect communion with God in the Old Testament because of the law. J.I. Packer gave a great illustration of this. I thought it was great. Has anybody ever had just a clunker of a car It may be your first car, it may be your last car, but somewhere around we have had a car that we knew it was going to tear up. You go to take a trip and you just pray everything holds together. And he said, under the old law, that was the life of a communion with God. It's like driving a used car that you're band-aiding together. You've got the brakes working now, but the transmission's skipping. You've got the transmission skipping and the, and the tires about to go out. And everything about the car is just, I've had one of those. And you're just riding around and hoping you get from one point to another. There's always that tension. There's always that anxiety that this thing's about to tear up. And it's never going to be right. It's never going to be right. It's all band-aiding and temporarily fixing. Is that not a great picture of the Old Testament? They never... Understood. They never. They always realized they were never going to be completely right with God. That is why in Genesis, he even said, Let us create man. From the very beginning, God had a plan for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A mediator is needed. We know from Scripture, Romans 3.23. If anybody ever had any evangelism training, we always have to have Romans 3.23. What does Romans 3.23 teach us? For how many have sinned? All have sinned. Therefore, how many need a savior? All need a savior. That's why Scripture says, Whosoever, because all need a, a Savior. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some of you have even seen uh, uh, gospel presentations and, and there's like man on one side and you know, you, can, you know one of those where you're sitting down and you're maybe talking to somebody and you draw a little picture and it's like there's a man on one side and there's uh, this deep cavern that you cannot cross over and there's God on the other side. It's, that's a true illustration. You've got man and you've got God. There's nothing that can be done to fix that. Works will not fix that. Religion will not fix that. Nothing will fix that because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the measuring stick is not how bad we are. What is the measuring stick? How perfect God is. So if we think of it from that standpoint, it's not that we're lost because you're bad. You're bad, but we're lost because he is so good. For all have sinned and fall short of His glory. That's why we are are dead in our trespasses and sin, because we're comparing it to God. But what makes God so loving is He knew that, and He provided a mediator. And that mediator is Jesus Christ. He knew that there was nothing that we can do on our own to be saved. He knew that our works would never save us. He knew that it's by grace through faith. And so that is why we have a mediator. A mediator is also provided. Now I want you to take your Bible. should be some scripture references. Yeah, they are. Well, it is going to work out, I think. That's good. Because when I when I give you scripture, you know I know what I... I know exactly where I'm telling you to go, but it doesn't come out right, does it? A mediator is provided. Why did Christ come? Why did this mediator come? Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. My translation that I've used now for several years is the ESV, and I I say that because what a great way this says that hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 he is the radiance isn't that a great word he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, more excellent than theirs. Notice that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, have you ever been around a godly person and you just know—and not in a weird way—but you know, you just know that person's a godly person. There have been several people that I've met, and just kind of talking with them, the way they carried themselves, you just knew that they were a godly person. Can you imagine being in a little village somewhere in the Middle East and you hear this little ruckus and you see this man walking with these people behind him and around him and Christ walking by? Could you imagine being on the side of the road and, and Christ walked by and we always try to picture what he's looked like, you know, we see the picture so we know kind of what he looks like, I guess. And he walks by. Could you imagine him kind of looking up, making eye contact? You'd have to be able to say, that's a good person right there. I mean, just the radiance of God himself emanated from who he was because he came to reveal the Father. He was God, man, perfect, without sin. He did what we could not do. Hebrews 1.3 said he is the radiance When you start thinking about Christ and then you start thinking about, well, that's your way. One of the reasons this makes this so important, because the world is saying, you have Jesus, we have this. You have Jesus, we have that. Can you imagine even thinking that that's okay? That there's other mediators? There's one mediator and his name is Jesus Christ. And if we would really believe that, I think the church could make a great impact in our world. He came as the radiance of the glory of God. John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. No one, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Verse 17, let me back up a little bit. Let me back up 16. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He came to reveal God to men. Why did the Mediator come? He came to redeem men from sin. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10 and 45. The problem is sin. The problem is man and his sin. So, therefore, the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ, personally shared with an individual, responded by an individual, so that forgiveness of sin of that individual can make right that relationship. Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That is why Jesus Christ came. To be the mediator. To redeem man from their sin. And that's what makes the gospel so great. That's why when we talk about the gospel, I was talking about this morning, clearly, completely, compassionately. D.L. Moody said this. We have to get a man lost before we can get him saved. If He is the mediator and He came to redeem man from sin, he, he didn't come to serve but to be served but to ransom many from the sin. So therefore, that's why we have to talk about sin. That's why we have to talk about our depravity. That's why we have to talk about our need. If we are all just kind of good people and just a little messed up, then why did Christ say, I came to ransom many for their sin"? If we are just good people, a little messed up, and we're not as bad as we are, no, we we have to understand that there's a mediator that came. It is necessary that that mediator did what we could not do, and Christ came to redeem us from our sin. And we think about when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive it individually, we receive it personally, he takes that sin and he nails it to the cross. Now, the devil keeps wanting to remind us of our sin, doesn't he? And he causes us to doubt our assurance. But Christ said, that is what I came to do, to take care of that sin once and for all. He came to redeem us from sin. Three, he also came to restore man to God. Some thoughts. He came to seek us where we are in order that he might bring us with him. I love the way Packard said that. That he came to bring us with him where he is. Dead are not trespasses in sin. By grace through faith you are saved. We receive new life. We are new creations in Christ. We're no longer dead. We're alive. He meets us where we are in order that we may live with him. And he takes us where? He is, and it's a lifelong journey as our mediator. He came to redeem us from our sin, but he came to restore man to God. Now, I don't know about your life, but I'll be real transparent here. I got a lot of working on, you know. I don't mean that, that, you know, I'm just living in sin, and then I come up here on Sunday mornings, and I'm no, but what I'm saying is I am a process of sanctification. Yes, I am saved, and yes, I'm excited about my salvation, and yes, I'm grateful that I don't do what I want, wanted to do then. That my want to be said again. I'm thankful my want to's have changed. I don't struggle with the same things I used to struggle with. I'm okay with that, but I'm not arrived yet. Is what I'm saying. You know, we don't we don't leave seminary and they go, "Oh, here's your seminary degree. Congratulations, you have arrived. You're sinless." Go be a pastor and sin no more. No. I want to be a more righteous person tomorrow than I am today, and the next day than I am the next day and the next. But I have to remember He came to do that. Christ in me and me in Christ, and He came that, that He is meeting me where I am, and as I follow Him, He is taking me to where He would have me to be, closer to my relationship with God, holier each day than I am today. I use this often as an example, especially this men folk, and it is in my life. I, I can go back to my hometown tomorrow and I'll bump into somebody at the local grocery store and they will tell me, you look just like your daddy the older you get. Isn't that kind of incredible to think about? That we can look more like our heavenly father the older we get. I hope I'm more like my Heavenly Father every day of my life. That is what Christ came to do. He did not come so that I would become perfect. He came to restore me in my walk with God. Christ receives those who by faith receive Him. He introduces them at once into a relationship in which the Father's view of them corresponds to the Father's view of him, let me read that. He introduces them at once into a relationship in which the father view of them, the Father's view of John, the moment that I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I asked Christ to forgive me of my sin, and I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, at that moment, because of what Christ has done for me, because He is my mediator and my mediator alone, according to this statement. He introduced me into a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Now my Heavenly Father view of me corresponds to the Heavenly Father's view of His Son, Christ. That's pretty deep, isn't it? For Christ's sake and in Christ, the Father reckons righteousness to them, because Christ is righteous, and accounts them His sons by adoption, Because Christ is his son by nature. Adoption is the word that we are part of the family. We are part of Christ. When we think about adoption, it's not, okay, we are all the body of Christ. So once you're saved, we're adopted into the family of God, like we look at it down here like a church membership, which we are. They were part of the body of Christ. We are adopted into the family of God, and God sees me in the same light he sees the Son, and I have been reconciled because of the mediator, and Christ literally will say, this one is with me. We are one in Christ, and we are adopted into the family of God because of the mediator, Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ a big deal? You bet it's a big deal. When you, when you begin to look at life that way, and, and uh, there's different disciplines of counseling, okay? You can, you can Google counseling. There's all kind of counseling out there. There's just, you know, psychiatrists and all kind of counseling, you know. There's that. But there's, a, there's a, a discipline of counseling, and as crazy as it sounds, it's called biblical counseling. Now, there's Christian counseling, but this is called biblical counseling. Now, biblical counseling could be considered Christian counseling, but it is a discipline on, in and of itself. And it comes from the Greek word nitheo, and it means nathetic counseling, coming alongside one another as we come alongside God. And so another term for it is nathetic counseling. It's called biblical counseling. Here's the premise of biblical counseling. There's not anything wrong with anybody that a born-again, redeemed, adopted child of God that cannot be fixed. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Why do we believe that as biblical counselors? Because we say that the moment that we are saved, God looks at our life through the lens of He looks at His Son's life, and we are complete and one in Him. And so, because of that, the Scripture, the Spirit, and the Word, everything has all the answers for everything. So, there's nothing in my life that is unfixable because I'm one with Christ. That is liberating. Think about that lost, crazy person you know. And I use the word crazy probably too much. But there's lost, then there's lost crazy. It's like there's Gator fan, then there's like crazy Gator fan. There's Republican, there's crazy Republican. There's Democrat, there's crazy Democrat. This is crazy lost person. And you look at crazy lost person, you think, okay, I don't even know what we can do for that person. And it's not like I'm crazy. It's just there's so many issues and so much of a path and so much addiction and so much need and so much concern. And we all say it. We need to find this person help. You, you bet we need to find them help. But it isn't going to be laying on a couch popping a pill. It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are all made whole. That's liberating. Next time you go to Walmart and experience craziness at its best. By the way, we're in there too. We're just on a different aisle. What is wrong with these people? They need a mediator. And his name is Jesus Christ. So that is like a a liberating confidence now. When somebody calls and said, hey, Brother John, i got somebody that needs some, they're looking for some counseling, and they've got a lot of things going on, I'm just in a very compassionate, loving way. I'd love to meet with them. What are you going to tell them? I'll talk to them, but I'd love to meet with anybody. Why? Because I believe Scripture has the answer for everybody. The gospel has the power to change everybody because Jesus Christ is a mediator, and he came to restore man to God, period. And He is the answer. And that helps us live our life in such a way we want people to meet Christ as their Lord and Savior. He is the only mediator, the only place we're going to find peace, forgiveness, and restoration. How is it that this mediation works? There's three things. You've heard this before, I hope. There's three roles that Christ plays. A prophet, a priest, a priest. In a king. Jesus' primary office is that of a king. His name alone, Christ, anointed one. He is the king. It's not it's not like John Beck, it's not Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ is who he is. He is the anointed king, ruler of the universe. He is Christ the Lord. He is a king. Acts chapter 2, the early church, they got this. This is what makes this so profound to me. They would have seen Christ before the cross. They would have seen Christ after the cross. They would have seen him as a son of God. They would have seen him as a risen son of God. They understood Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Now, what has happened here? The, the Holy Spirit has come upon the church. revival done broke out. Peter done got to preaching. Folks done started getting saved. Life's beginning to be changed. And the same thing that happened then is the same thing that we received. When that began back then, it is continuing the next great event in redemptive history is the coming of Christ. If you think about it from that standpoint, Christ rose. He's at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit came down. The apostles were there. We got the word. We've got our marching orders. The next great redemptive point in history is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Everything they can do, we can do. Because he did it. And he has done it. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's a bold preaching, isn't it? That wouldn't have been very popular. They just nailed Jesus to the cross and killed him. And now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're standing up. They're empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he's looking out there and he says, this is what he's saying. He is Lord in Christ. Yes, y'all put a sign up on the cross and said He is King of the Jews. He is King of the Jews. He is the Anointed One. He is Christ. He is a King. The New Testament declares Christ's kingdom to be universal and all-embracing. Matthew 28 and 18, he says, All authority has been given to me. Go make disciples, teach and observe all things lo I'm with you all authority how much is all authority all authority has been given to him and he's giving it to us he's giving it to the church and the mediator is saying go and do ministry go and live out the Christian life he's telling First Baptist Church I am the head I am the source of this church I've given you all authority to do whatever you can do you go do it what about the devil tell him I sent you okay Remember, I'm just a messenger, but I believe in the one that sent me. I'm with him. King Jesus sent me. That ought to motivate us a little bit, wouldn't you think? That we have a mediator. Ephesians 1 He has put all things under His feet. What is every all things? The political system under his feet. The economical system under his feet. He's got Satan under his feet. All the enemies are under his feet. Everything is under his feet. He is the Lord King Jesus. He is our king. And we follow him. But Jesus the king is also a priest. Turn to Hebrews. One of the richest books of the Bible if you want to talk Just the context of the priesthood of Christ. We see that in Hebrews. Because what we see in Hebrews is a group of believers that are swaying back and forth from the law. And for the Jewish law and priests and who the priest was. And it's a great word on who Christ is as a priest. Hebrews 5, 6. As he says, also in another place, you are a priest, how long? Forever. After the order of Melchizedek. That priest would go from man to God. Remember, the prophet came from God to man. We don't need a prophet anymore. We have the word of God coming from God to man. We had a priest that would come from man to God. We don't need priests anymore because the temple was ripped in two. We have access to God through Jesus Christ, so we have the word from God, we don't need a prophet, we have Jesus Christ, we don't need a priest, forever. He is interceding for us as our mediator, pleading on our behalf, this one is with me, here is one of mine, we are his forever we look at Hebrews 9, 1 through ten eighteen. you take the time to read that. It talks about that once and for all sacrifice, nothing else needs to be paid. If you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, quit trying to please God with doing things and make God more happier with you. He's never going to be any more happier in you than the moment that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. We should live a life that we think should be pleasing unto the Lord, but we quit working yourself to make God more happier in who you are. You are complete in Christ. So start living that way. That's where holiness and righteousness and obedience come into play. Because of who we are, we live this way. But we're not doing these things to please our Father. He's pleased enough through the cross of Jesus Christ. But yet, obedience is a blessing unto the Father because we're showing the Father we believe who He is in our life. That's why one of my favorite words is also joy. I never, I don't get it. I've never understood a grumpy Christian. I want to, I want to get to heaven one day and see if there's a, a grumpy section, Grumpy Street. I want to see who lives on Grumpy Street. I mean, that doesn't mean we're always happy. I mean, I'm not happy all the time, but there's a difference between happy and joy. Yes, we can go through the valley. Yes, we can be sad. Yes, we can be troubled. Yes, we can be sick. I'm not talking about those things. But I never understood why a believer cannot find joy. Yes, I'm in a tough spot, but I still have joy in the Lord. Yeah, you know, it's like on Sunday mornings. I don't understand why everybody just sitting around here and just like so happy and joyful they just get on each other's nerves. I mean, I literally think people just come to church. I've ever just want to, and I'm not saying I've never done that here. There'll be a time I just want to tell somebody to go home and watch it on video. Why? Because you're just sucking the joy out of this place. I think that's why a lot of churches live stream their services. Let the joy killers watch it at home. Please send your check and tithes and offering, but just stay home and watch it. I mean, that's sad, though, isn't it? I think we ought to be the most excited, the most joyful. You think about this every day. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, 725. Constantly, Hebrews 725. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through Him, since He has always lives to make intercessions for them. He is constantly as our mediator, interceding on our behalf through God the Father. The God of the whole creation, all-knowing, all-present, ever-powerful. God, Christ the mediator, is always interceding for us. Always, as always, that is great news. I'm not forsaken, I'm not left, I'm not forgotten, I'm His. I'm going through struggles, I'm going through tough times, I live in a fallen world. He knows that, He is always interceding for us. We have the Spirit abiding within us. Romans 8, 34. Romans 8, 34. You know where this is going. verse 31 what then shall we say romans 8:31 what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's what we looked at this morning. We're in this for the sake of the elect, those that are redeemed, those that are born again, those that are his. Who can bring a charge against one of God's? Nobody can. I'm his. I have repented of my sin. I have placed my faith in Christ. I have responded to the gospel. I know that I am His because I have responded to the gospel. Who can bring a charge against me? Nobody can. It is God who justifies. Verse 34 Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The mediator is continually interceding for us on our behalf. When we pray, the moment that we pray, who hears our prayers? Our Father hears our prayers because Christ is interceding for us. You don't have to make an appointment to come to me to get to God. I don't have to go to you to get to God. Christ has done that. He died. Was buried. He rose again. And he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it goes on to say, nothing can. And that is what a mediator does. That is our priest. But he was also our prophet. Again, we see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, and chapter 2, verse 3. Long ago, and many times, it doesn't sound right I'm not reading that from the King James Version. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We have a prophet, Jesus Christ, who came and spoke the words of God. Chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's warning the Jews about, because Paul doesn't know what's going on in someone's heart, just like I don't, just like you don't. I know that you respond to the gospel. If you really respond and you really repent, you're really saved. I believe that. But we don't really know what's going on. Somebody could just say what they're saying and not mean it. That's the issue. We don't know. Paul's saying, listen, if you are a believer, quit going back to Judaism. If you are a true believer, how will you forsake? Notice what it says. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How can we deny what it means to be saved? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and buried miracles by the gifts of the Spirit distributed according to His will. And it goes on to remind us it was through Christ. If we neglect Christ, we neglect so great a salvation. If we reject the gospel, we regret so great a salvation. If we ne- neglect the prophet, we neglect so great a salvation. I read this week, and I studied this week, and I said, you know what? I know why J.I. Packer said that word's an important word. It's an important word. We have a mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. Interceding for you, pleading to the Father for you. But the world needs to know about that mediator. The problems and the worries and the cares of the world can only be solved through the gospel and the mediator, Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we're grateful for the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, our great mediator. Lord, I'm thankful that there's a point in a time that I heard the gospel and I responded in faith. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you stirred my heart in such a way that I saw my need of a mediator the need of Christ and I'm thankful now that as a believer that you are interceding even though that is so hard for me to accept to understand I can believe it that is why we pray That is why we sing, that is why we give, that is why we serve, that is why we focus on your word. We do these things because you're interceding for us through the Father and you're providing the means for us to commune with you. Lord, help us live in such a way that we take the gospel to the world that so desperately needs to know that there's a mediator between God and man and that mediator is Jesus Christ. Let us see that there is power in the cross to believe in and to live out. In Christ's name we pray, amen.